We uh, are in the last week, week four of our series, Not of This World. And basically what we've been doing is uh, walking through First Peter. Uh, Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, lived in uh, uh, Rome, and he was, was looking out on the horizon of culture, kind of, uh, just kind of taking, uh, almost like his finger was in the air. And uh, he, was, he could feel the waves of culture shifting. And he could see on the horizon that, that uh, uh, persecution and trials and tribulation were headed towards the church. And so he sat down and wrote a letter to some Christians in modern-day Turkey encouraging them when this reality arrived. And so basically what we've been doing in this series is I've been saying, hey, the culture has shifted. I don't know what that looks like long term, but culture has shifted. And, and uh, we need to be ready if and or when uh, being a Christian becomes difficult. When, when persecution, difficulty, trials encroach on our doorstep, we need to be, we need to be ready. Now there's difficulty with that. Because uh, there, there's this tension. Because on the one hand, if you wait until it arrives and it's too late, uh, and that does no good to encourage people to be steadfast and stand strong uh, in the midst of persecution. If you share it before it arrives, you risk being irrelevant. Let me try to illustrate. My mom, when she was 16 years old, she'd been 16 for for a couple weeks, she went to my granddad, her dad, and said, hey, dad, I would like to take my friends uh, to Dallas. She grew up in Fort Worth, about an hour away from Dallas. And so she went to her dad and said, hey, I would like to take my, I'd like to take my friends, go see a movie, go hang out, just drive over to Dallas, enjoy freedom. My, my granddad, um, <coughs> great dad and great granddad to me, and, and dad to my, my mom and her sister, said, you know what, I trust you, you got a car that's reliable, go ahead, you can go. But, first, I have an exercise that I want to, uh, I want you to complete. And so, he went outside and she followed him and, and thought he was crazy. He opened up the trunk, got out the jack and said, I want you to take off a tire and then I want you to be up, to, I want you to put it back on, I want you to prove to me that you can take off a tire and put it back on if and or when you get a flat. Uh, she thought he was crazy. I mean, she, she said, Dad, what are you talking about? Every teenager can predict the future. Dad, I'm not going to have a flat. What are you talking about? Who cares if I know how to change a flat tire? Here's why she did that. She had never been in the car up to that point, never been in the car when a flat happened. And so she thought it was never going to happen. And if that's the case, why do I need to know how to change a tire? My granddad knew otherwise. He, he had actually been in a he had been in a car when the tire went flat and knew it was imperative that she be able to change it. It was irrelevant to her, to, to, my, to my mom at 16. Uh, the, the idea of being able to change it, that was completely off her radar, completely irrelevant. But my granddad knew otherwise. 
I tried to use this with my wife, and she said, we have cell phones now. But, and I get it. But, but, but then they didn't have cell phones, and my granddad knew how important it was. And so that's the tension that I've been living in in this series for the last four weeks. Uh, do, you, do you wait until it arrives and then risk being too late, or do you uh, share before it arrives and risk being irrelevant? And so I, I sided on the side of, of risking being irrelevant. I landed on the side of risking being irrelevant, being misunderstood. I, I know that's the case. I know some of you are like, Scott, what are you talking about? And don't misunderstand. I'm not predicting. I'm not saying that that, that, that widespread persecution is coming on us anytime soon. That's not my point. But I am saying that culture has changed. Every sociologist agrees. Culture has changed. It's shifted. And, and no matter what encroaches on our doorstep, no matter what arrives in southwest Missouri, as believers, I want us to be ready. And so we've been walking through 1 Peter, looking on the horizon of culture, saying something's changed and we want to be ready for it. And, and so we've seen that we're exiles here. We don't belong here. And, and because we don't belong here, the culture is going to, to look at us and go, there's something strange about you. And, and, and strange, different is, 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 is to not like or, or is to, to marginalize, is to discount, is to push to the fringes. So we've been experiencing that, and we've looked at that over the last few weeks. This morning, as we try to tie a bow on this series, I just want to answer one question. One question is this. What is God up to when difficulties, trials, tribulations, and persecutions come our way? What is God doing when that happens to us? I'm not just talking about government-imposed persecution. I'm talking about any trial, any tribulation, any difficulty in life. Uh, for the sake of, of Christ, we're going to see in a minute, not because we're dumb or foolish or, or act like idiots. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about for the sake of Christ. What's God up to when we face persecution, trials, and tribulations? Peter answers that question in 1 Peter chapter 4. So as you're turning there, it's okay to keep your eyes open. I'm going to pray for us as you turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. You can, get up, you can find it on your phone. I'm going to pray for us as we open God's word. Father, we believe that your word is exactly the same as if you were sitting up here speaking to us. And so, Father, I pray that that reality would uh, grip us this morning, challenge us, and change us. We're not just reading from some book, some generic, general book with good ideas. We are reading the very words of the one who created us and created this world. And longs to have a relationship with us. So speak to us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 12. Here's what Peter says to, to, the, to the church in modern day Turkey. He answers this question. God, what are you up to when difficulties arrive in our life? Beloved, verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter says, when difficulties come, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. This is, this is, this is a normal Christianity. This is generic, general, the regular rhythm of 
difficulties are going to arrive. This is, this is an important truth that Peter um, shares with us. Why? Because in modern day United States, this is not our idea of, of <laughs> normal, the regular rhythm of being a believer. In, in, in a culture where the prosperity gospel reigns supreme, Where if difficulties come, it's a it's a sign of unbelief or 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 minute uh, marginal faith. This is not believed in our culture. And Peter shouts through the halls of history: normal Christianity, the regular rhythm of Christianity, is that trials and tribulations are going to come your way. Difficulty will regularly be encroaching on your doorstep. And he teaches us something in this truth. He says, at the fiery trial, when it becomes, or when it comes upon you to test you, there is rich truth in this uh, verse, or in this, in this part of the verse. Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying this, that, that word fiery trial is the word that we get purified from. It's also the word that we get refiner's fire from. The, the refiner's fire. So what Peter is saying is when difficulty comes, when, when uh, uh, trials come, when persecution comes, that is God using uh, those difficulties to refine you, to purify you, to, to mold you more into the image of Christ. Those, when those trials come, they're not disconnected. They're not an end in and of themselves. It, it is, it's, it's, uh, uh, the end is that you look more like Jesus. And the way that that happens is you're refined. You're purified. You go through difficulty. You go through persecution. I was told after the first service that this is true. I'm not sure if it is, but it's one of those in emails that you get that, that are kind of passed around. <clears throat> but it it's definitely applicable for this for this point that Peter's making. Uh, a lady in this in this email goes to, to visit a silversmith on behalf of a Bible study group that she's in. And here's what it says. That week, the woman called the silversmith and made an appointment to watch him at work. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that refining silver, that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest, so that all the impurities were burned out of it. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. The man answered that, yes, that was true. But not only did he have to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eye on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman sat silent for a moment, then she asked the silversmith, Well, how do you know when the silver is fully refined, when all the impurities are out of it? He smiled and he answered, Oh, that's the easy part. It's when I see my image in it. Peter, sharing with us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that when persecution and difficulty and trials and tribulations come, that's the process that God is using to refine us, to, 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 to uh, uh, mold us, 
to make us more into the image of His Son. That's the process, the regular process that God uses. Why? Because uh, as, one, uh, as one pastor I like to listen to says, our hearts are idol makers. Our hearts are idol makers. We, we, we regularly uh, build and make idols and put them at the center of our life. And then unbeknownst to ourselves sometimes, we worship it. And so God sends trials and tribulations into our life to, to reveal that idol and then to show how it is wholly inadequate to save us and to be there to, to, to last in the middle of difficulty. When life gets most difficult, when life gets hardest, that thing, whatever it is at the center of our heart that we build up is inadequate for us. It becomes a terrible God for us. And we regularly, we regularly put these idols, we regularly make these idols, we regularly build these idols and place them on the center of our life and worship it, sometimes unbeknownst to ourselves. For me, that's comfort. I love comfort. Uh, love comfort. I don't need extravagance, but I love comfort. When it's hot outside, I want the air conditioner to work. And I want it to be comfortable inside. I hate pain because I love comfort. And God regularly, he regularly refines this idol that I make out of my life. Regularly refines it. Because I, I, I make this idol, I put it at the center of my life, and I worship it, sometimes unbeknownst to myself. He goes on, and he says that this fiery trial, this, this purifying process, takes place so that it tests you. And that word test right there, it, it, Peter it uses uh, the word that means literally, if you transliterate it, it's the word. It, it's, it's the, the word that we use, if you transliterate that word test, it means this, to show who you really are. This process of refining shows us who we really are. When I refine, when God regularly refines me, it shows me who I really am. It shows the idols that I make. And this week I was talking to my dad about this verse, and, and I, I shared with him that, that word to show you who you really are. And he said, oh man, when I was in Thailand, I was on the beach. With, he went to visit my brother in Thailand this past summer. They were on the beach. And these salesmen will walk up and down the beach trying to sell pearls to, uh, to the tourists there. And they're so cheap that you think that they're counterfeit, that they're fake. And, and I, I don't know what pearls go for, but my dad said they're very, very cheap. And so these tourists didn't believe these salesmen. Uh, when they said uh, the price for the pearls, and they insisted that they were real. So the salesman came up with a plan. They take a little plate, they put the pearls in the plate, and then they will set the pearls on fire. And any fake ones, if they are there, or any of the string, anything except for the real pearls, will be in, uh, taken up by the flames. The only thing that lasts, the only thing that lasts are the real pearls. The fire proved what was real, showed what they really were. Anything fake, anything counterfeit was consumed. But the pearls remained. 
the fire proved that the pearls were real. This morning, I don't know what idol that you make, that you set on the center or in the center of your heart is. Maybe for you it's like me, it's comfort. Or maybe it's a multitude of things. Uh, maybe maybe it's family for you. I mean, I, 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 we, a good thing that we idolize, that we turn into an idol, that we, that we put on the center of our life and, and, and we worship it, sometimes unbeknownst to ourselves. And God refines it. He, he allows a, a child to, to rebel or he uh, calls a child away to move away from you or from us. Or a parent has to move away because of their job. And God uses that difficulty. He uses that refining process. He uses that trial to, sh- to show that a good thing has been turned into the ultimate thing. And he takes it away for our good and for his glory. Maybe it's prestige and you lose your platform to show that a good thing has been turned into an ultimate thing. And God takes it away to show that it is wholly inadequate to have at the center of your life. Maybe in our culture, I've seen this more and more, maybe maybe it's sex. And it's been something that God has given to us for good has been turned into ultimate. And he, and he allows sickness to come into your life and he takes that away to prove that it is uh, wholly inadequate to be at the center of your life to worship. I don't know what it is. Maybe I've, I haven't even touched on what it is for you, but God has allowed trials, tribulations, persecutions, the refining process to come into your life to reveal that good things have been turned into ultimate. Idols have been erected placed at the center of your life, when difficulties come, they are wholly inadequate. And by His grace, He takes the throne of our heart in its place. And the way that that happens is through refinement, through the refiner's fire, through trials, difficulties, and persecution. I would go so far as to say that in the same way that metal can never be refined until it goes through the fire, impurities can never be removed until it goes through, through the refiner's fire. In the same way that is true, I would be so bold as to say that you cannot have a deep, abiding relationship with Christ unless you've been through the fire. Unless you've had difficulties and trials and tribulations come your way. I, I've probably told this story before. But my, my dad was a pastor growing up. I didn't even tell this in the first hour. My dad was a pastor growing up. Uh, all through, all from, from the time I was born till, till I mean, he's still one today. Uh, but he was living in, in Oklahoma. He was at a church there in Oklahoma. And there was a, a, a pastor change. It was a large church, a church of several thousand. And, and there was a, a, a change in the senior pastor. And the senior pastor came in. And made it known to the to the leaders there that he was going to bring in his own staff, and and uh, uh, my dad was one of the first rounds to be uh, told to leave. And some of the other pastors had churches that they could go right to. My dad was not one of them, and he spent about two years cutting grass. Now I'm not talking about you know has a, a grass cutting business. I'm talking about the teenager that helps the guy with the grass cutting business. And my dad did that for two years with a family. All of our savings, eaten up, 
Uh, I remember stories of where we would go out, there would be $100 in the, in the uh, mailbox, and that would pay the one bill that they didn't have the money to pay. And, and for two years, my parents lived like this. And they, I, was, I was Grayson's age. I was in third grade, my, my son's age. And I vividly remember those two years, that, that refining time in my parents' life. And I will tell you, if it were not, uh, if, if my parents' faith had not been strong, if they had not been faithful during those two years, there is no way I would be where I am today. I would probably be a statistic. Because it's, it's easy to go to church when you're paid to go there. But, but when you're cutting grass all through the week, and, and, you, and you still, uh, as you know, making more, right at minimum wage, and you still talk to your kids about how good God is, how, how much He loves us, how He provides for us, how He's He's uh, He's a good Father, even when all the circumstances around say otherwise, that leaves an indelible mark on your kids. It did on me, and I guarantee you, if it had been easy for my parents, or they had not been faithful in the in the in, in the refiner's fire. There's no way I would be where I am today. God uses the refiner's fire to show where idols are being made and being built in your life. And he has the, the grace and the mercy to send difficulty so that they're removed. Because they are completely and totally inadequate to have at the center of our life. They always break down. He doesn't end there. He keeps going. Verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit, uh, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Uh, like I said before, in our culture, persecution is something to always be avoided. But Peter says, no, that's not the case. Persecution is a roadside that you are headed in the right direction on the, on the journey that we call life. This journey of life, when persecution comes, when, when, um, when difficulty comes for the sake of Christ, we're going to look at that more in a second. For the sake of Christ, when, when difficulties come, when he is, is refining you and he's showing you and he's revealing to you that there are idols in your life, his mercy and grace to remove them, through difficulty, that is a sign that you are headed in the right direction, that, that Christ is being uh, molded, or that you are being molded more and more and more into the image of Christ. That is an act of mercy and grace. It's countercultural. That's what Peter says is a road sign that we're headed in the right direction. But then he gives this, he gives this warning, and it's an important warning. Verse 15, but none, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. He says all of these promises are true if you, if you suffer for the sake of Christ, not because you're being foolish, not because you're, you're doing dumb, you're acting foolish, you're, you're being dumb. In the, in, the, in the first service I said, uh, you know, I got a little excited. I said, if, if you act like an idiot, you're going to be treated like an idiot. I should have said that, but that's true. <laughs> 
He says, we suffer for the sake of Christ, not because we're being foolish. And this is, this is more common than you might think. There, I was a member of a church and a lady, and I was in a Bible study with a pastor. And the lady, um, a lady in the church came and said, hey, I've been persecuted uh, for, for Christ, and, and I want to rejoice in that. And he said, tell me the story. She said, well, I went to work for this guy. And, and he knew that I was a Christian. He was, he was okay with that. But um, I started to, to practice my faith more. I started to read and study for a Bible study that I was in more uh, during work. I was on the phone talking to some ladies about things that are going on, how we can get uh, food together for church, and, and uh, just having more and more conversation. And that was taking up more and more of my day because I was studying a little bit more. I was talking to these ladies more. And I got fired as a result of that. And the pastor looked at her and said, I would have fired you too. <laughs> you're, not, you're, not, you're not being persecuted for Christ. You're being persecuted because you're, not, you're asking for a full day's wage without putting in a full day's work. That's not, that's not being persecuted for Christ. That's being fired because you deserve to be fired. Don't, don't pin this on being a Christian. Don't pin this persecution on Christ when you're not acting like it. I can give you a dozen examples. One more. I, there was a pastor I knew. He lived in a neighborhood. Everybody in the neighborhood knew that he was a pastor. And um, one day he was looking at his front yard, and he saw the neighbor um, let the dog out to do the business, his business or her business on the front yard of this pastor's house. He went outside confronted the neighbor. And I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly how it unfolded, but it was bad enough that the neighbor across the street called the police. And this pastor came in and was telling us the story. He was saying, I was persecuted for being a pastor. Now, I was dependent upon that pastor for a paycheck, so I didn't say this. But I wanted to say, you were being persecuted for being a pastor. You were being persecuted because you were being mean. Because you were being foolish. Because you were not acting like Christ. Peter says, you're blessed if you are persecuted for the sake of Christ. Not because you're a meddler. Not because you're sticking your nose in places it doesn't belong. You're not, you're not being persecuted for Christ when you're being a murderer or an evildoer when you're breaking the law. It says you're blessed when you're persecuted for the sake of Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying in as believers, as those who follow a different value system from the culture, there are going to be times when you are compassionate, when you are humble, when you are winsome, when you are considerate, that just because your values are different, that you're going to bump up against people and culture, and they're going to persecute you for it. That is the circumstance that you are blessed. You're, com you're kind, you're compassionate, you're caring, you're humble, you're, you're winsome, but you just cannot agree with what culture has said is okay. And it's at that point that you disagree and are persecuted for it that you're blessed. Not because you're asking to be paid while you don't do the job. Not because you're a terrible neighbor. The, the neighborhood is not better because you live there. You're persecuted because the neighborhood is worse because you live there. That's not for the sake of Christ, according to the Apostle Peter. He goes on. 
verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? For those who do not obey the gospel of God. Here's what he's saying. There was this belief going on in, 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 at that time that thought when, when uh, trials and tribulations come, when difficulties come, and, and uh, that it's going to start inside the church. Peter seems to be agreeing with this, but he actually takes it a step further. He says, when persecution comes, when you're being kind, considerate, compassionate, winsome, and persecution, difficulties, trials come for the sake of Christ, when you're marginalized, when you're made fun of, when, when uh, you're pushed to the, to, to, to the fringes of culture. What I want you to do is I want you to look to Judgment Day. And Judgment Day is the time, it is the moment when every wrong is made right. He says as, when persecutions, when you're facing persecution for the sake of Christ, when it's hard to remain faithful, Peter appeals to Judgment Day to the point when, when all wrongs are made right as the moment of vindication for us as believers. You face difficulties, you face trials, you, tri you face tribulations, you face the refiner's fire. Remember, Judgment Day is coming. And it's not something that we celebrate, but it's the moment that our, our lives, our values are vindicated. Because every wrong is made right. We don't celebrate in that, but we remember that, that there is going to be a time when we are vindicated, when, when everything that we stand for, stand for, is proven right. That happens at Judgment Day. And as you face difficulties, remember that is coming. Remember that is coming. Remember that is coming. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, Judgment Day is coming. And you, believer, you follower of Christ, you will be vindicated. Remember it's coming. Closes it out this way. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, here's how you suffer well. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That, that word entrust, it, it means to take something of great value and give it to somebody else and believe that they will take care of it. That word trust that Peter uses here, it has this, this idea that I'm taking something of great value and I'm giving it to the care of someone else and I believe that they will take care of it as well as I would. And Peter is saying the thing that is of most value to us as believers, or at least should be, is our soul. It's the thing that goes on forever. It never dies. And he says, as believers, in the middle of persecution, we are taking our soul and we are giving it to the Creator. We're giving it to our Heavenly Father. And we believe that He will care for it even better than we could. So I put this in my notes. What Peter is saying here is that as Christians, day by day, minute by minute, Moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance, persecution by persecution, we are giving our souls the thing that is most valuable to us, to God, again and again and again. And we have the confidence that he will care for it. 
And when that is a reality, that, that God will care for our life better than even we could care for ourselves, when that is a reality, we go out and we live well. We live a good life according to the text. And we've already talked about what that means. Not a perfect life. Only Jesus did that. But we put others before ourselves. We, we are, are humble. We're winsome. We're compassionate. We care for orphans. We care for widows. The world looks at us and says, I don't understand you, but I think I might want to be a part of you. That's what it means to live a good life. When we do that, we entrust our souls to our Heavenly Father, and we live well, even in the midst of persecution. According to God's Word, that is success. Now, as I started this morning, I said, I, I jumped into this series at the risk of being irrelevant. But as I've said time and time again, culture has changed, it's shifted. Missiologists, those are people that study trends in church. Every one of them that I've read, maybe, maybe all of them, I, I don't know, I haven't read all of them, so I can't say that. But everyone that I've read has said two things are going to have to happen simultaneous in the church over the next 10 years. Attendance is going to, 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 to decline. Attendance is going to decline. Those who claim Christ, that number is going to shrink because it's not going to be easy to be a believer, according to these missiologists. It's not going to be uh, up until even the 1980s. If you moved into a new town and you were an insurance agent or you were a salesman, you went to the biggest church there and it helped your business. That is no longer going to be a reality in the United States of America over the next 10 years, according to the missiologists that I've read. But they have also said, that's the bad news. The good news is the impact of the church is going to be greater because there's going to be a stark contrast in our values in the things that we believe and in the way that we act than in the culture that we live in. If that is true, the risk of being irrelevant in this series was more than worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that when trials, tribulations, and difficulty come our way, I pray that we'd be faithful, we would suffer well. Understanding that you're using that to mold us and make us a little bit more to your image each and every day. We thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Stop.